Welcome one, welcome all, and welcome back to Conversations with the Mind, folks. You are in the right place. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to first start off by saying thank you to all of our listeners. You guys are the reason that we do this whole thing in the first place. So thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen. The listenership continues to grow every week, and we are enthralled by the growth that has happened so far. And largely, that is because of all of you telling your friends and family about the podcast, sharing it on your social media when you see us post either YouTube videos or our podcast audio. Please, please, please continue to like and share all of our stuff that we share on there. Get it out to your friends and family through word of mouth, through social media, through email, however you can. Also, if you find the content of this podcast at all useful, please feel free to donate to the podcast. There should be a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app you're listening to. So you can donate to the podcast in any amount. It can be from 50 cents, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you want. We've had some... uh, Contributors come in and and throw down some um, hefty donations in the past, which has helped us to upgrade some of our equipment. But we're looking to upgrade our audio equipment next. That means microphones, soundboards, things like that. And uh, most of our upgrades have been directly out of pocket, which we don't mind doing. Like I said, this message is for you guys. This is why we do it. It was for you guys. But if you find it at all useful, it can be beneficial to your own karma to give and donate to a cause that you find worthy. So if you find that this podcast has benefited you in any way, uh, has provided value to you and your life in any way, or to the value of your loved one's lives in any way, please feel free to donate and show your appreciation for the content, for the guests, and for the work that we put into the podcast. So please donate. But the best way you can support us is by liking and sharing. So make sure you go to our YouTube page as well. Go to the Mind Ops YouTube page, and it's spelled just like it is on the website, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. I tell you what, guys, it was super fun to create my website, and um, I love all the little features that I put on there, all the videos, uh, all the links to the podcast, um, all the sections on uh, psychotherapy and things like that, and and keep going to the website. There's going to be more and more updates to come. We're going to have loads and loads of content, uh, all useful and free stuff on there. And you can also reach out to myself or to our guests through the website as well. So mind-ops.com. Go to the comments section and leave whatever comment or question you may have. So please go to the YouTube page. The Mind Ops YouTube page, like I said, it's spelled M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. And on that YouTube page, we have a variety of things. I've put up the uh, videos of some of these podcast episodes, as well as a number of um, videos that I've shot just kind of breaking down some of the content that we talk about on the show. And I've also created a number of playlists on there, so feel free to explore the playlists on the YouTube page. Uh, Some of the playlists that I've put together are are fascinating, for me anyway. Um, I've probably categorized hundreds of different uh, interesting videos from topics like psychology to philosophy to quantum mechanics to uh, philosophy of mind to psychedelics to uh, lectures from famous uh, people. So check out the playlist folks Um, check out the little categories that we have there and if anything interests you during the show feel free to go check out the playlist chances are I've I've already put something up uh, on there to to help 
broaden your understanding and knowledge on some of these topics. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back to the show. And now a word from our sponsor. folks today's good news story comes from the good news network you can find it at goodnewsnetwork.org and the title of the article reads as the only u.s airline to use biofuel on a regular basis all united light flights from la are now powered by biofuel and i usually don't have good news to report on united airlines i don't know if any of you have ever flown united but i'm not a big fan of their service anymore um, I used to be a huge fan, but uh, ha- has significantly decreased in my opinion over the last 10 years. But this is good news coming out of United Airlines, talking about how they are strengthening their commitment to being the world's most environmentally conscious airline by agreeing to purchase up to 10 million gallons of cost-competitive, commercial-scale, sustainable aviation biofuel over the next two years. Um, so right now, it is saying that uh, they're using, they're powering every flight departing out of the Los Angeles airport hub, achieving more than a 60% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions on a life cycle basis. And I, I believe this is the life cycle of an airplane. Um, that's a pretty significant reduction in greenhouse gases. Uh, it goes on to talk about uh, the Boston-based biofuel producer World Energy and, um, and as well as, uh, let's see, other um, California facilities making sustainable biomaterials that United is, is uh, investing in. And uh, this is really cool. And I hope that other airlines um, take heed of this and also see the benefit and kind of get in a competition with each other to see who can be the most green in this area. We're already starting to see it with um, some vehicle manufacturers coming out with more and more hybrid and electric options. So it's going to be really cool to start seeing Um, airlines get on this bandwagon as well. I actually just recently saw um, an article about a company, and I forget the name of the company, but they created the very first private jet completely out of hemp. So I think every component in the uh, air in the in the plane was made out of hemp. It ran on hemp fuel. Uh, Really cool stuff. And hemp is extremely strong. Um, Some of the original uh, car manufacturers made their first cars out of hemp and also ran on hemp fuel so some really cool stuff uh i hope that that takes off uh not only because i'm personally invested in hemp but also because i uh fully support the use of renewable resources um such as hemp um in order to create some of these biofuels really 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 cool stuff okay so the conversation with my mind this week is very interesting to me anyway. I hope you guys find it interesting as well. Um, I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize for this, or am I? Maybe I will. Who knows? Anyway, my thoughts this week have been on what consciousness is. And in order for me to find out what consciousness is, a lot of times I need to start with thinking about what it is not. So, in my mind, consciousness is not just information or data. It is these things, but it's not just these things uh, individually. So consciousness is not just information or data. It's not just feelings, not just sensory input. It's not just memories, not just cognitive or metacognitive. It's not just visuals or visualizations or hallucinations. It's not just present moment awareness or soul or not just energy. It's not just movement. It's not just learning. It's all of these things. 
And consciousness, you know, I think that we try and put it too much into a box and try and explain what it is based off of our limited language. And uh, it's really hard to describe something as um, as ethereal as consciousness with uh, with labels, okay? But it is all of them simultaneously in a dance. It's all moves, uh, so consciousness moves, it interacts, and it shapes itself. It's self-perpetuating. Um, it's always shifting and changing, making it really difficult or nearly impossible to study with current science and measurement in its entirety. We can pick apart and study different aspects, but not in it, in its entirety. Science just doesn't do it any justice. And uh, one can only observe it as a snapshot in the moment of measurement. And we talked about this a little bit in our class podcast um, with Patrick, but uh, you can only measure, you know, particles uh, in in a snapshot uh, in one place in, in time and space. You can't really measure it as it's moving because there's an infinite number of possibilities, as we know through quantum physics, that particles can be in any of an infinite um, number of locations and uh, it can be there in any given moment. So we can only measure it at any given moment. Um, so this is why it's important to develop skills in observing the flow of the dance. So if consciousness is this dance, this interaction between information, feeling, memories, visuals, soul, present moment awareness, energy, movement, learning, cognition, metacognition, sensory input, maybe we just need to develop skills in observing the flow of the dance. Rather than trying to analyze each and every step of the dance, we need to take it all as a whole and recognize the beauty that is created when you take all those parts together and they interact and they move with each other. So observing the flow of the dance is important rather than trying to necessarily manipulate or change the flow. Um, so, yeah, we need to we need to observe the flow at uh, the interacting parts, you know, at the, at the points in which these things interact. Um, and the flow of the mind in its moment-to-moment existence. So this is oftentimes um, one of those meditation tools that uh, we start with when we start our meditation journey is taking the observer perspective and just kind of stepping back and watching our thoughts as they happen rather than um, trying to control or change them, which are also useful tools. But it's just interesting to think that um, you know we limit ourselves so much when we think about consciousness and that if we just take a step back and stop judging and stop trying to label and stop trying to put our finger on it, then we can actually see more of the whole and see the interactions and the dance that is consciousness. Such a beautiful dance. And I'm so very grateful to be a part of um, experiencing this dance with all you guys. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, okay, so on to the guest intro. Very, very special guest today. Uh, his name is Abdul Wilkins. He's also known as the Beantown Ghetto Shaman. What a name. And he'll break down that name in the podcast as well. The Beantown Ghetto Shaman. So I met Abdul um, at the Detroit Psychedelic Conference a number of years ago and uh, was fascinated uh, right off the bat by some of the things he talked about. He gave a presentation and he also was teaching some breathing exercises as well as some Tai Chi and Qi uh, Gong um, exercises for the conference participants. So it was really cool um, to get these these different perspectives. So uh, Dooley, as I call him and as he likes to be called, is a 
considered an, an urban inner city shaman or an urban shaman. So he works a lot in the inner cities of Boston. He's a holistic practitioner. Uh, he's been practicing Tai Chi, Qigong, and uh, is also a Reiki master. He's been practicing all three of those for over a decade, around 13 to 15 years, I think he said. Um, so yeah, uh, we really connected on a lot of things, and I thought it would be really cool to have him on the podcast today. He he goes into a lot of different uh, interesting tangents that I don't even, you know, I can't even think of myself because he comes from an entirely different background, an entirely different culture, you know, growing up around gangs and growing up in the ghetto, as he says, um, these are just not experiences that I have personally had. I've read a lot about them, but it's totally different growing up in them. You know, he talks about his growing up with his, his parents and his mom being schizophrenic and his dad just kind of um, jumping from all these different social circles and really connecting with so many different um, groups of people. It's really cool to hear his story, but also how his story has helped uh, unfold his own path and his own interests in consciousness and his own exploration of consciousness through martial arts and through shamanism and through spirituality and through um, psychedelic uh, practices and things like that. So we get into all sorts of cool topics in this podcast. I hope you guys like it. Um, this was definitely one of the most interesting uh, podcasts that I've done so far. Uh, interesting to me. And um, yeah, so give it a listen. Please like and share and donate to the podcast if you find it at all valuable, guys. And uh, look forward to many, many more interesting people on the podcast. But here, without further ado, episode 46 of Conversations with the Mind with Abdul Dooley Wilkins, the Beantown Ghetto Shaman. Here we go. This is the Conversations with the Mind podcast, where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to the Conversations with the Mind podcast. This is episode 46, and we're here with a very special guest, Abdul Wilkins, the Beantown Ghetto Shaman. How are you, sir? Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? How's everyone? How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome. It's good to see you again. Uh, I think it's been a while since we, we actually saw each other face-to-face. -face. I think it was the Detroit conference or, or probably a little yeah. bit after that. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, that was a little while ago. Yeah, that's, I think that's definitely the last time we've seen each other, which was a very awesome conference, by the way. I mean, that, I mean, <laughs> Kalindi, that guy, he's no joke. <laughs> 40 grams and beyond. You got to love that man. <laughs> so, yeah, but it was great being there and sharing space with people and meeting great people, even like yourself, man. So, yeah, we're continuing the work, you know? Yeah, nice. So uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because, um, you know, I'm friends with you on Facebook and it seems like you and I, you know, we, we look at the same news articles, we share the same stuff, we, we like a lot of the same content, but we, yes. you know, we come from very different backgrounds, different uh, ethnicities, different cultural yeah. backgrounds, and yet mm -hmm. you and I have this connection, like we, we like a lot of the same things. 
And so I really wanted to have you on the show uh, for, the, for a lot of those reasons. I really value your, your take on consciousness. And um, yeah, so the first question I always ask is, is always the same question to all my guests. And that first question is, you know, the podcast name is Conversations with the Mind. And I just want to get a sense from you, like, what does that phrase mean to you? What does conversations with the mind mean and how does it resonate? Mm, great question. Um, <clears throat> conversations with the mind. Um, when, I, when, I hear, when I hear that, um, I think of meditation, you know. I think of, that's the first thing that comes to, to actually my mind is, is, is meditation. And uh, there's all types of ways to meditate from all types of different traditions. Um, when I teach, I teach different type of classes, but I just recently uh, uh, taught a Reiki class, a Reiki one class. And um, I was talking to my students about meditation. And I, and I was talking to them saying that it is in all actuality having a conversation with yourself, having a conversation with your subconscious mind, your unconscious mind, getting in, tapping into that part of you who had, who you have to discover or rediscover. So, uh, yeah, meditation could mean a lot of different things for different people, and there's all kinds of ways to meditate, you know, but um, I, when I think of conversations with the mind, I think of, of meditation. Nice. So you talk about like discovering and rediscovering this part of yourself. And I, you know, I feel like yeah. it's so interesting too. Like it's almost as if people have lost connection with who they really are or, or lost connection with yes. um, their spiritual or higher self. And through yes. meditation and through psychedelic practices, we can like reconnect with the truth and not these masks that we put on for other people and not like the fake stuff that we put out on Facebook and, and, the picture that we paint for people, but really communicating with that deeper sense of self. Yeah, that's true, man. That's very true. I, I mean, we, we live in a time where it's all about filters. <laughs> no one sees the so-called real you anymore, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think that's why there's this whole resurgence and renaissance surrounding psychedelics. Um, you know, I think this is coming up right now in this time that we live in because I feel a lot of people have to re rediscover themselves. I if it's not religion or, or something telling you that, you know, this is how you got here, then really nobody really knows, you know, how we got here. What is this thing called reality? You know, what happens when we, you know, call the, we experience this thing called death? What is this whole thing about? Well, <clears throat> you know, I think psychedelics, amongst many other type of things, are, are great tools to kind of discover some of those things about yourself and reality, you know, in my opinion, you know. Yeah, so do you think like there's, I, I definitely feel like there's a consciousness shift going on right now at this time in history and you know, that we're, we're writing this new psychedelic renaissance, this wave, mm -hmm. you know, do you Definitely. feel, do you feel Definitely. like it with the people you're in contact with, do you feel like most people are, are seeking or hungry for, for self-discovery and for actualization? Or do you feel like, uh, cause a lot of people that I come in contact with as a, as a professional therapist, 
seem like they're not even interested in exploring mm-hmm. the mind until I, until I broach the subject with them. Do you find that mm-hmm. a lot of people really want um, this inner exploration these days? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. I know is this is that <clears throat> at one at one point in time, um, I was studying Tibetan Buddhism in the early two thousands, and I met a lot of great lamas lamas uh, during that time, and a lot of great practitioners that just deal with deep levels of awareness. And um, what I learned in that school of thought is that no matter what age we are in, or in India, they call them the yugas. Um, There's this thing in Buddhism where they would call the afflictive emotions, okay? So, you know, like in Christianity, they also say things like the seven deadly sins and things of that nature. Um, Well, I think that if one doesn't like check themselves, it doesn't matter what age a person's in. I think these afflictive emotions are always and, and and I really believe that because I think that there's sometimes people manage, they, they can romanticize history sometimes and think, okay, well, you know, there were these great times or the golden age, which we'd hear sometimes, or these, you know, ages of where we was much more advanced technology and different things. You're breaking we up a little bit. Sorry. You're breaking but, up a little Okay. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. So you were talking about, you know, different uh, ages, like the Enlightenment age, the Golden Age, things like that, where we had advances in uh, other forms of technology, and then I cut out. Yeah, because the question more people are interested in this, and I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think it takes uh, real courage to look at yourself, first of all. And it takes a lot of strength to be able to like just get out of the sheeple mentality and say, well, you know, what is this? What, who am I? You know, what is this about? You know, and when I say no matter what age we're in, it only, I think there's only a few people that really take those steps sometimes because it's, it's hard work. Let's face it, you know, um, but very rewarding work. You know, when I think of, for instance, like ayahuasca ceremonies, you know, I, you know, you know, I do a lot of work with mama ayahuasca and other type of uh, medicines. And if you, if you ask some of the people that attend these, these uh, ceremonies, they'll tell you real quick, this is not the food, you know, if somebody asks, I think you're breaking up again. Can you hear me can now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, so, I can hear you. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on with the audio. Maybe it's, um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But we'll, we'll keep going. So you were talking about the ayahuasca okay. circles. Sorry. 
No worries. Sometimes technology doesn't work in our favor. Yeah, yeah you're kind of breaking up now, too. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I heard you say something that technology doesn't work in our favor. Yeah, so sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't help us out, but that's okay. We'll keep going. So you're talking about the ayahuasca cells. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I, I was just saying that in general, I think that, yes, there might be, you, we, you know, I grew up in, a, in, a, in, in Boston, in a, in, a city, in a city called Roxbury, right? And for instance, my father, he used to teach me a lot of different things about metaphysics, spirituality. We was doing yoga, tai chi, all, all that when I was young. Right. And he was a great foundation for me. Now, back in the early 80s, you see now. So I do think things are changing. I do feel think more people are taking an interest in some of these ancient practices. But what I was trying to really make a point is that it's this is this is not easy work. When you when you talk about self, like when we're being born, right, being born is not an easy job. You know, you have to go through this canal and you have to, <laughs> you have to go through these, these things and then, you know, you're here, you know? I think that's the, that, that's the same thing of being reborn, if, if you, if you want to call that, or this rediscovery of your true self. It's not an easy task. So, you know, unpeel these layers of trauma, unpeeling all these type of things that society and your family fed you to think that this is who you are. It's not easy work to for self-discovery. It takes a lot of, you know, patience. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of these different things. So I don't think that's a, um, I don't think that's something that's, that's, that's the main thing for everybody. You know, everybody doesn't want to oh, like raise their hand and say, well, me, 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 it's time for me to look at my inner demons. I don't think that's something that's by popular view, but it takes a special type of individual to really go down that path and say, Hey, I'm ready. You know? Yeah, so for our listeners out there that are listening right now, and maybe they, they're interested in, in this hero's journey or this journey of self-discovery, I like to call it your journey into your inner verse. Um, and, you know, you have to get, you got to face all the bad stuff, but you also get a lot of the good stuff too. Yeah. Um, so for those people out there listening who want to do this, but maybe don't have, the, right. they don't have the courage yet to start, what would be your advice? Like how does someone get started on this kind of path? Okay, well, the thing is this is that I think a great way to start, like, if a person want to talk about the psychedelic, what I think out of all the other type of medicines and different things that I've uh, experimented with and and, and took part, I, I feel mushrooms is a very, in my opinion, very safe and very type of, uh, of uh, you know, experience for a person if they wanna deal with the fungi. I think a lot of your listeners can start off very low, you know, and, well, I think, and there's a lot of people that might, you know, so, um, you know, I think, 
maybe for your listeners out there, maybe starting off with a gram or a gram and a half and and an actionable space that you can be able to explore doing this 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 great sacred mushroom fungi, make sure that there's no type of distractions going on around you. So you, you want to have a space, first of all, you want to set up a sacred space. Um, getting a playlist, a sacred music is, or some type of music that you vibe with can be a good type of, uh, it could be, that, that could be a good, good thing too for as well. I think that sometimes music and sound in, in general helps ground people type of challenging experiences. So um, finding a sacred space for yourself, finding time for yourself, uh, starting off slow, don't, you know, you don't have to go with the super, uh, what they call it, the heroic, mm -hmm. you know, got to jump right into the deep end, you know, this is making sure you're comfortable. Well, finding, um, you know, they, they uh, in, the, in the psychedelic circles, we, we talk about having a, that, you know, especially those, Or more neutral, um, then we have someone there to just kind of even maybe rub your back or just be like, hey, you know, breathe, what have you. And that kind of having someone by your side. He never took. Okay, we're still cutting out pretty bad. It's hard to hear. Um. So there would be times where he would call out, yeah, I'm still there, man. Would help people sometimes as well, having a sitter, someone that can help ground you and assist you if you need any assistance. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for my clients, I usually suggest even before jumping into psychedelics, like people should start to familiarize themselves with their mind, either through meditation, yeah. you know, basic, basic things like yeah, sitting with good. your breath and, um, and figuring out like, you know, can I, can I sit with, how, can I sit with how uncomfortable that's going to be, uh, to just sit there and do nothing, you know, cause our culture teaches us that if we sit still, then we're lazy, and that gets really uncomfortable for us here in the West. And so, exactly. that's even, a very good point that you say that. Yeah. So even meditation or uh, things like journaling, you know, writing down your feelings, writing down your dreams, yeah. and really exploring and analyzing what happens in your mind before you take that leap uh, deep with both yeah. feet. Yeah. You know. Yeah. For me. Um, Prior to doing uh, mushrooms or anything like that, one way for me to familiarize um, or get to know my mind a little better was Tai Chi and Qigong. That was, mm -hmm. that was uh, one of the greatest gifts that I could really have, especially the time that it came to me. I would think I was 15 or 16. 
16 at the time. My father introduced me to Tai Chi and Chi Kung, but it was an older fella from my neighborhood who I had a lot of respect for who introduced me to one of these masters. And <clears throat> man, it really saved my life because I was such an angry teenager, you know what I mean? I was, and I was back in, in the early 80s, you know, early 90s, you know, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of gang activity in Boston, you know, particularly in Roxbury, Mattapan, these areas. And um, so, like, having the martial arts, I was, I did it, the arts coming into my life and, and, and using the breath, for instance, you're learning um with especially in Chicago, it allowed me to kind of still my mind, you know, it allowed me to kind of check in with myself. <laughs> okay, I'm doing an interview right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um uh, that, was, that was my little little ones right there, y'all. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I came across a book. It was a book called Becoming Your Own Therapist, uh by Lama Yeshi. And I fell in love with the book, man. I was like, what is this, man? I was like, and it came to me at the right time, man, because um, first of all, just kind of doing more research on this guy named Lama Yeshi. I just loved his style. You know, he really um, was very skillful on how he brought his teachings to, uh, to Americans. You know, he, he really was studying the psychology of his students here. So you would occasionally find Lama Yeshi sometimes at the strip bar, <laughs> you know, at the gay parade. You would find him everywhere. And he was really sitting down, really trying to study his culture so he can really approach the Buddhist teachings of the Dharma in, in, a, in a much more effective way. But his book was very simple. That book just really had me think like, okay, where are these thoughts coming from? You know, and why are you thinking? You know, so at that time, I was a teenager reading this book, like around 17, 18, whatever. But it, it really shifts something in me because it allowed me to really have a check-in with myself. And I think we don't check in with ourselves. We're so much on go, 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 go. Like, you know, um, people don't even have the time to check in with themselves. So starting back from the basics, like you said, it's a great way before even people sometimes jump into psychedelics. I agree. Yeah, and uh, that's another thing that you and I connect a lot on is I'm a lifelong martial artist myself. And yeah. I come from different lineages and different styles than you, but still yeah. a lot of the base philosophies of martial arts remain the same. And I don't know much about Tai Chi or, or, um, or Qigong. I was wondering, uh -huh. can, can you explain to me a little bit of what the philosophy is behind it? Because they seem... Yeah. There's like softer martial arts, more energy. Yes, yes. Whereas yes. the ones I'm used to are like Muay Thai yeah. and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like hard, harder styles, even though Jiu Jitsu is considered the gentle art. Um, yes. Tai Chi is even way more gentle, you know? Oh, more gentle. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, when I first, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. Because um, I, I, I went to this martial arts class today, this morning. Um, it was Bagua. It was a Bagua class. And I'm not that familiar with Bagua, but I'm 
I'm starting to get more into it because one of my good friends who we both had the same Tai Chi teacher, he told me that he says Bagua is one of the three major um, soft, um, not soft, but internal arts, internal arts. So he said, he was saying Tai, tai Chi, Bagua, and I think he said, he, he said another martial art called, I believe it's called Chi, Shen Ki or something like that. The third one I've never practiced, but he says those three essentially deal with cultivating this internal life force energy, which in China they call Chi, in Japan they call Ki. Different names. Prana, things like that. Yeah. So um, what's interesting about Tai Chi is that for so long, I, you know, did not know the essence of what this art is really about. Because even myself, I was like, how can you defend yourself when you're doing these very slow type of movements? But what I realized, like one of my, my um, friends who studies Tai Chi was saying that you have to slow down to learn how to go fast. Mm. So I was like, what do you meant by that? So what I'm seeing is this, like for instance, when I was in Bagua class, and I even seen this in, even in um, Aikido, is that sometimes with, with Tai Chi, for instance, you have certain arts where they meet uh, force with force. Like this person's coming at you, they're coming back at you. A lot of times with Tai Chi or even Bagua, you're, you're, somebody's coming at you, you're moving out the way. And you're allowing their own force to kind of take them off their center. You know, so I see that a lot, especially in Tai Chi, that we have something called pushing hands. That's really big on learning the sensitivity of energy. Um, what I've learned, especially with Qigong and Tai Chi as well, also, is that it's, it's a whole different mindset than how we look at aging here in America in, or in the West. These guys really believe that as they practice with these very slow type of movements, they cultivate this life force energy to actually, uh, they actually believe they get stronger as they get older. So they say it reverses the aging process in in such ways. And I could say that it's totally true because one of my old Tai Chi masters, if you look at this guy, he's an older guy, but they believe that as you cultivate yourself, your bones, for instance, get solidified, like a fool with chi, like some Wolverine type of status. So for instance, my teacher, he would lay his arm on you. He looked like a small guy, but his, 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 his bones were so dense that you would feel like, wow, like your bones feel like steel. So this, this Qi Kong stuff, it's, it's very much like alchemy in, in, in a sense. So you do this whole inner transformation here and they believe that you definitely get stronger as you get older. And when I see some of these old Tai Chi players, some of these guys are in their 70s, 80s, and they're flexible as anything and they're vibrant as anything. So it must work. You know, and um, the Bagua teacher gave us example. He says, you see this? He had um, this staff, you know, he had the weapons out. So he had this staff and he says, you see this? He tries to put it over his knee. He says, very hard, but you know, you can, I can break, I could still snap. 
he says, you see this? He got this little light jacket that he was laying on the, on the, on a chair or whatever. And he, he tried to do the same thing over his knee with the jacket. He says, very soft, but very hard to break, you know? So the, the, the essence of like Tai Chi, Chi Kong, or even, you know, Bagua and stuff, the, the, it's combining this softness, hardness. Got to know when to be soft, but also know when it's the right time to bring the yang out or the hardness out. But uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and mm. you, you bring up two concepts that, uh, you know, as a, as a jujitsu coach myself and an instructor myself, I try and teach these or instill these on my students too. But, uh, you know, one was you said practice slow and you learn fast. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I, I, you know, for our white belts, you know, you got to slow them down because they just want to learn yeah. and go fast, fast, fast. And, yeah. and they end up uh, ingraining bad habits, uh, bad, mm-hmm. you know, bad technique. And so you say, you know, you slow down in training and you get the muscle memory and you get the, you know, you get it slow, but you end up learning the technique much faster. And then you can start to speed up as you learn the technique. So I, I like mm-hmm. that a lot. And then the other one you said, um, was, uh, yeah, like being, um, being flexible, right? So meeting force yes. with force is not yes. usually, yes. It's usually not beneficial for either party, but I've heard, um, uh, maybe, uh, different philosophies say like, we need to be like a bamboo in the wind, right? Being mm-hmm. so bamboo is really strong and firm, but it's not, um, it doesn't fight against the wind, you know, a harder, yeah. tr- a harder tree will snap in the wind, whereas a bamboo yes. kind of flexes and yes. goes with it. And that's where it finds its strength is in the flexibility. And so I really think that, uh, if I were to in- integrate more, softer practices into my own thing like more tai chi and and like that i think for my jujitsu i could certainly like gain greater sensitivity because we're we're in in a lot of physical contact and i gotta feel my opponent move so that i can use his force against himself and uh, i think if i were to integrate more of those softer practices i'd probably get some uh, superhuman powers in that sense i i think it's amazing because I, 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 I just love all the styles. You know, I think you can learn. I have another teacher. His name is Nassim. Shout out to Nassim. This guy's a beast. He knows Nijitsu and, and he does the uh, Cambodian uh, stick. He does all these type of styles. And he was way before his time. He was doing this like in the 60s. And he would get a lot of flack, you know, from his fellow um uh, martial arts, uh, uh, you know, uh, fellow uh, uh, classmates and stuff, because he, people were so into tradition, mm-hmm. traditional, you know. And I think Bruce Lee was one of those people, of course, that also broke that mold as well to say, you know, starting off with Wing Chun and then saying, hey, you know, is this very practical out in the streets, you know, um, and being able to be um, flexible. You know, like he, he's all, Bruce used to say, be like water, you know, so being able to um, uh, be like a chameleon, if anything, in, the, in that moment. So, and I, I think that was displayed even perfectly when in that fight in the movie, you know, uh, I know it's still a movie, but it was still, you know, displayed in a very great way with Chuck Norris and Bruce, you know, and how, you know, and you've seen how Bruce was getting messed up in the beginning with Chuck Norris, right? Mm-hmm. Chuck. Chuck was kicking his ass. But then he said, oh, Bruce says, okay, hold on. I got to change this up. 
you know? And that's when you've seen him even bring in a little boxing type of flavor. Because Bruce, you know, if, if people read about Bruce Lee, he, he studied a lot of fighters, including even Muhammad Ali, you know? And if you look at even how Ali fights, um, the guy, you know, he was, he didn't get tired. He was so light on his feet. He was so relaxed. He was a, a very relaxed fighter, which gave, which, you know, gave an advantage to him. Because in, in the philosophy of Tai Chi and all that, they always say softness overcomes hardness. This is the Tao, you know, like the Tao Te Ching. So um, it's interesting. And then I noticed that even the other day when I was at Bagua class, I was, you know, we were sparring. You know, I was sparring with one of my friends, Joe. And I was going so hard for a second. I didn't catch myself. And, you know, we were sparring, doing the push-in and stuff. And he says, he, he says, soften, dude. Soften. Because as I'm going so hard, I noticed I got tired. My, my arms was tired, you see? So it, it even had me think about, um, yeah, it even had me think about, like, say, for instance, if somebody was in a battlefield, right? And um, say, for instance, we're in a battlefield, we're, we have to fight for hours, you know, even maybe go for days and fighting. If someone's not soft or, or connected with, with the energy, they're going to go so aggressive that they're going to burn out real quick with their energy, right? So they, it's, it's a level of, of, of preserving or cultivating this energy. I think this is the secret behind this Tai Chi, Qigong, Bagua stuff, you know? I think it's all, all really about this cultivating this life force energy and thus maybe having some even supernatural type of uh, abilities to come from this, you know? Yeah, like life extension, like you mentioned, or, or gaining strength, um, yeah. maybe fighting diseases, fighting cancers, yeah. things like that too. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So, I mean, the, the Bagua teacher today, he, he, it was so interesting. When you start to be sensitive to this energy stuff, he, he said, feel this duly, right? First, he projected this energy out of his hand, and I felt this heat coming from his hand. Then he says, feel this. Then from the heat switch to some cool energy. So I was like, wow. I was like, you know, I've felt, I've felt the heat before, but I've never really felt so much of the cool emanation from the hand. So I was like, wow, this is interesting. This guy's dealing with some interesting stuff here. You know what I mean? Nice. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so I think most people who find martial arts initially get into it, obviously, for the physical aspect and the self-defense piece, right? Yeah. You and I both know uh, from practicing it for a lifetime now that there's yeah. much more that the martial arts offer. And it's almost like when you do it long enough, you start to live almost like the way of the warrior, you know, yeah. and and yeah. and it bring, it's a lot more than just being a martial artist, but it, it bleeds yeah. into other areas of your life. and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so what, what is your take on, you know, the way, um, yeah. and it can be different, like your way, the way for you is Tai Chi and Qigong yeah. and Reiki, and yeah. the way for me is Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and MMA, yeah. but it's all the way of the warrior, it's the path of yeah. the warrior. What do you think about it? it, it well, it's interesting, I, 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 never, I don't know if you ever heard, read this book, it's called The um, Peaceful Warrior. Oh yeah, I by, love that book. By Dan Millman. I love that guy. I, I think he's a great writer, you know, great writer. I've read many of his books. And, um, and it's funny, when I was reading some of his novels, I was going through a lot of, some, I thought the book was talking about a story about me at the yeah. time. I was, like, I was like, wow, man, this guy's really in tune with some things there. 
But um, yeah, it's oh, even from that book, for instance, The Peaceful uh -huh. Warrior, uh, the main character uh, teacher, Socrates, right? Um, he, he was showing the, 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 uh, the, the young man that a, a different side of what a warrior means, you know? A warrior for me really means really conquering your own self, conquering your own demons, right? And we could call it demons, we could call it our lower self, we could call it our animal self, but it's really, that's why I think at the essence of a true warrior is. When we look at even Mike Tyson, right? Iron Mike, for your li listeners out there, I know they probably heard that he probably recently took Bufo, the Bufo told medicine, you know, the 5-MeO-DMT. And we, we look at Mike, we all understand he's a great warrior, you know what I mean? At his height, no one can mess with this man. He was the world heavyweight cha champion of the world, and no one wanted to step in this ring with this man. Ferocious, right? Um, yet, Tyson says when he took that toll, he was trembling on his knees. I mean, he was like, hey, you know, I've, you know, I've, you know, dealt with some warriors, but I've never dealt with any warrior like this called this toad, this little, this little ribbit, ribbit, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he, he knocked me on the, on, the, on the mat for sure, you know? So I understand that because even like, for instance, the Bufo, when I brought, you, you know, when we had a shaman here that did some ceremony work with us, some of these people were taking Bufo for the first time. And I told these, these guys, I told these individuals, I was like, hey, this is not a walk in a park medicine, all right? <laughs> Prepare yourself, you know? And some of these people really didn't know what I was talking about. And like I said, they had to meet themselves. They had to, you know, and some of these people weren't ready to meet themselves. And I see one guy was Clark literally, man, clawing at his face, punching himself. He, when he got down from the Bufo experience, it looked like he was in a, in, in, a, in a fight, you know. So this is what happened. And when, when I asked him he, what his experience was, you know, I said, hey, do you, would you like to share with us? And he said he thought he was going to die, all right? Now, that was a fear for him. But when we look at warriors, warriors are ones who go into those dark places that seem very scary, all right? Um, this is what, that's why even when we look at George Lucas, right, and he was highly influenced by uh, that guy, I love this guy too, Joseph Campbell, you know, he wrote the uh, Hero's Journey, Warrior with a Thousand Faces or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Real great guy on breaking down uh, the collective unconscious on the level of symbolism, all right? Um, George I mean, um, George Lucas was inspired by Joseph Campbell, right? And you look at his symbolism within Star Wars. You know, we look at that moment when Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker has to go into that cave and deal with himself. If Luke Skywalker wants to become a great warrior, a great Jedi, he first has to deal with himself, with his fears, all right? What I've learned through a lot of these medicines is this, if we want to call this thing the matrix or whatever, or the, uh, you know, holographic universe or whatever, this Maya or Kali Yuga, whatever, you know what I mean? You know, if we want to call this the daggone of, you know, samsara, whatever, this 
to get out, the way we get out is by going in. And the way we go in is dealing with this fear because the, 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 the thing that runs this show is fear, you know, straight well, up. Yeah. Fear and the, and it's opposing force love. I think both yeah. of those uh, run this whole show. And, it, it, imagine- it, it, yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, like my mother says, my mother told me a long time ago, she said, son, I, was, I, I asked her, I said, mom, what's the purpose of evil? You know, <laughs> I was like, what is this? And she's like, son, you cannot understand goodness, beauty, compassion, love, any of these things without knowing it's dual opposite. All right. We, we, and, and that's the beautiful thing of like, even for me, my first UFO experience with the soul allowed me to see the bigger picture, it allowed me to see the bigger picture. Allowed me to say, okay, wow. When I, you know, when I went into singularity, it allowed me to say, wow. Well, great spirit is the bum. He's the crackhead. He's the prostitute. He's the killer. You know what I mean? He's oh. all. He, he, she, all these things. You know. So uh, from that experience, it allowed me to understand that everything is love. You know, first and foremost, and second of all, this fear. You know, we come down here in physical form because what I've learned is that God, spirit, whatever, it seeks experience. It seeks experience. And through this experience, that it created itself to be able to know itself. You know? So when I got this, when I got this, this deep download, I was like, wow, this is a paradox, uh, a big time paradox. I was like, uh, how can something that knows everything but yet not know everything at the same time. I'm like, what's going on here? I was like, how can something, you know, know everything yet still seek experience, still constantly learning, seeking knowledge and wisdom, you know? uh, Yeah, that's the essence or the initial motivation for that oneness consciousness. And it's kind of, it's kind of reflected in a fractal way in those of us warriors who do choose to embark on this path of self-discovery and experience it's the same exact same exact construct the same process but manifested in an individual state and can you even imagine like um you know mm-hmm. all, all the journey work you've done and i've done and and the mm-hmm. fears and the, the parts of ourself that we face that have been really scary and that was yeah. scary for us uh imagine what it was like for mike tyson being a scary individual like him facing scary ass Mike Tyson, that was probably terrifying for, for anybody. And, you know, probably took a man like Mike Tyson to face someone like Mike Tyson in that yeah. ring in his head, you know? It, you remind, what's the word that they call for your double, your evil double, they call it the double ganger? Uh, doppelganger, doppelganger. Doppelganger, right? I don't know if you've seen the recent, I love Marvel, by the way. I love comics. Mm-hmm. I used to always read comics since I was a little one. But there was this, I recently uh, watched on Hulu um, Cloak and Dagger. I, I just finished watching that. And there was, a, there was one episode, spoiler alert for those who didn't see it yet, but there was one episode where, um, like, spoiler alert, put your hands over your ears. Nah, 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 I don't hear anything. <laughs> it was one episode where they, the main characters had to deal with their evil side. You know, and I felt that episode was very interesting because the hero, he, this, this other side of him knew all these insecurities about him. 
You know what I mean? You can't, and yeah, was, you can't lie to it. You can't lie yeah, to you. And right at him. He's like, yeah, and you know what? And guess what? You are a failure. You're the, you're, you're the reason your mother is this. And he was sent. And what I got from that episode is he definitely had to tap into his den. Not only did he have to tap into his den, this brother had to stand in his power to know that, you know what? I'm okay being not perfect all the, all the time, whatever we want to deem as perfect. Um, it's okay. I'm okay with, with, with fucking up sometimes because that's how I'm going to learn. That's how I'm going to make, make myself a better person, okay? Um, but the, in, that, in, that, in that Marvel series, that character, he had to stand in his power. And when he standing in his power and when he, was, and when he came to a place of self-acceptance, that's when the, the, the double ganger or whatever had to leave. I had no power over him anymore, you know? And he accepted all parts. Yeah. I mean, I see this theme coming up over and over, and they, they explore this theme all the time in, 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 in these movies, you know? And, and it's, I think it's brilliant. But, like, it's another film that I love also. It's like an old school film, um, uh, Jacob's Ladder. All right. And that film is just off the hook because, you know, it's multi-layered. You know, it's talking about experiments on soldiers, you know, with our government, all kinds of stuff. But the thing is, the soldier doesn't know he's dying. He doesn't know that he's going through the bardo, what they call in Tibetan Buddhism. You know, that in-between state before you take another birth. He doesn't know that he's, he's dying or he's, he's about to be dead or whatever, right? He's seeing all these strange type of monster type of figures chasing him, you know, throughout the movie. Um, there's one person in, in his real life that's a big friend to him and, you know, mentor to him, this, this chiro chiropractor, right? So while he's in this bardo or this astral or spirit place, he sees his, his um, you know, his chiropractic friend. And he says, hey, these, these demons, these guys keep chasing me. And this guy, it was the most classic quote I ever heard. He said, well, you know, your demons are nothing but your angels. You know, he said, he said something, I probably don't got the quote totally down, but he was like, he says, basically he was saying, your, he says, your, your demons are nothing but your angels in disguise. Mm. And I was like, what? I was like, who the fuck? What, what <laughs> I was like, yo, you know, I was like, man, somebody's doing their homework, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This stuff is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I'm doing this interview. Y'all two have to go in your room and play with your toys for a second, okay? I'll be in there in a second, all right? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. 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 Come on. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, yeah. No worries. Yeah. So that's that's uh, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to watch that movie, Jacob's Ladder. Um, oh yeah, classic, classic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so what I was reminded of is, um, you know, for jujitsu, um, a lot there's a lot of internal work that happens with jujitsu too. So we're learning physical techniques and everything, but when you first start, especially for the first few years. People are choking you out and submitting you all the time, hundreds of times every time you go in. And it yeah. really takes a warrior and a lot of courage to 
have that happen to you and then go back for more knowing yeah. that knowing that you know it's my it's my opponent it's my opponent that is going to be my best teacher because i learn about myself through my opponent and when you're on the mat like and you're you're dealing with yourself you get your ego every single day and it's really a journey it's it's much like a psychedelic journey where you face your biggest demons things like fear of failure and and um fear of survival and uh you know feeling like you're about to die literally and then yeah. you, you know you let you're able to let go of your ego and your pride yeah. and just do the task at hand so i find it to yeah. be very spiritual for sure when when you have martial artists right doesn't matter what tradition they come from, all right? When you have uh, a martial artist that gets at the essence of the martial art, of the art, they understand that the whole thing is not about fighting. <laughs> the whole thing is about really refining your, re, refining yourself. It's about right? life, Refine yeah. It's about life. And um, I'll give you an example, even at the Bagua class today, and and I get what you're saying, even about like, damn, do I have to go? Why am I coming back to this? And and um, you know, because there'll be moments you're 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 going through a through a mo a movement, or the teacher's trying to show you something, somebody smack you in the head, or do this. And and if you're a person that's really dealing with ego, um, then you know the person's gonna get embarrassed there, you know, or you it's somebody say for instance, this is another example. Say for instance, everybody else seems like they can catch on to the to the the move that the teacher is trying to show everyone in class, and you just can't get it, and you feel like, oh man, I'm not good at this, or I suck at at, at you know, it, are the rest of the guys gonna look at me like a wimp or whatever? A lot of these things are great teachings for people that are in the martial arts because it's again chipping away at all these things that you think are your are yourself you know what i mean you're chipping away at all these things that you think you know how society or how these people are looking at you it's you start to have more confidence in yourself and say hey i'm okay with me you know i'm really okay with me you know yeah, it's all and an I, illusion anyway hmm? it's all an illusion anyway all the thoughts that we have in our head it's all an illusion and so you chip those illusions away until you get to the truth exactly exactly very much so very much so because you know that's you know until people really get a sense that this is, you know, we, we, people can intellectualize about these things and say, well, this is an illusion, we're in a hologram, or, you know, this, this that, and other, things vibration. We, we, can, we can understand it on an intellectual level. And it's great that we're talking about this. But until someone experiences it themselves, it's nothing like it. It's nothing, you, you, you will not, come back the same. How can you? You know what I mean? It's, you know, I remember after I did my first Bufo experience, there was a moment where I got a little depressed, I, you know, it's, it, because I went to a place that was so blissful, so beautiful, you know what I mean? That when I, when I came back and I, I was on the, the bus going back to Boston from Manhattan, just, a sense of a little sadness came over me. And I felt that sadness for a couple of days, you know, because it was, I knew that I wasn't just this body. You know what I mean? Just from that experience I had, I was like, wow, you know, I want to go back home, you know? Even, even with the beautiful friends and wife and kids and all that, 
there's still a part of me like, wow, I know, <laughs> I know this is not it. You know, I want to go back home. You know, so uh, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Very yeah, interesting. yeah, I call that um, experience having a rough landing. And it happens to me quite often, you know, especially um, on my ketamine journeys when I come back from those um, and I, you know, I get a, I get a taste of what reality is again and I come back and it's almost, you know, I look around at people getting really caught up in everyday life and, and mm -hmm. the nine to five and, you know, worrying mm -hmm. about what people think and getting all these, you know, mental health issues and it, it does bring a, a bit of sadness knowing that yes. you know, we have this yes. information that we're so much more and we wish everybody else around saw it too and that we could break right. through from, from right. these uh, societal patterns that are like really um, closing us off as human beings. You know, we're, we're in our society, we're very tied in with like industry and materialism and all this stuff. And it's, it's sad yeah. when you come back and you're like, why are we focused on the wrong things? You know, mm. it reminds me of like uh, I seen that um, uh, film on Netflix. Love, what is it? Love, Death, and Robots. I believe it's called. Um, if you haven't seen it, um, definitely check it out. It's dope. It's a real, real dope show, and um, it's all talking a lot all about technology, right? And um, but there was one scene on on the show. There's like there's like fifteen twenty minute like episodes on each show and they're like these animation and different things but they had one scene where there was this type of world miniature universe whatever in this in these in this couple's refrigerator right <laughs> so it was really when you talk about something psychedelic <laughs> they, they they opened <laughs> they opened up their refrigerator and they seen this world like it's like they they opened it up and it looked like some early caveman the Thanderwall type of civilization going on, right? And they're like, and he's like, honey, come look at this. What the hell? What's going on here? You know? And, and they close. I can imagine, like, they're looking at each other. Did you smoke something? Did, <laughs> did we drink something today? What's going on? So they close the refrigerator again, right? Just a couple of seconds. Open it again. Now it's at a different stage of evolution. Now from the caveman, now it's like the horse and buggy, you know, going through. Then they close the, the refrigerator, get open again. Now it's dealing with flight and, you know, it, it was, that episode was crazy. One thing, and then when they closed it again, they opened it, it showed humanity going at war, right? So it shows this big bomb going off. And he's like, wow, what the hell? And it's like these planes going through like, and shooting and all this stuff, right? Then they closed the refrigerator and they opened it up another time, right? And now it seems like civilization got to a place of celestial type of like macabre. We, we've ascended, you know, all these type of lights and stuff. And then they closed the refrigerator again and open it again. And it starts from the beginning again, back at caveman. All right. So I'm like, hmm. I'm like, what are they trying to really show here on this episode? I was like, what is this? And first, first of all, I love the idea that they was playing with the concept of time. All right. Because that becomes a big one, especially when we deal with, uh, you know, altered states of mind. All right. I don't care if you're in a, a trance drumming. I don't care if you're in a trance and you're dancing and, and doing a sacred dance. I don't care if 
you're in that zone and doing martial arts or, or even eating a mushroom. When you're in that trance-like state, time gets different, man. You know what I mean? So I like that, that, you know, there was plenty of times where I would go on a journey, right? Eat a mushroom, whatever. There would be times where I, I, it, was, it would seem like I was gone for thousands of years. <laughs> it was maybe 30 minutes or an hour. So that whole concept of just playing with time and also showing that these cycles, what, what, what is this, this thing that we're in here, you know? Is this just ongoing cycles that just go on forever? And how do you get out this? And are we supposed to get out these cycles? I mean, this is interesting. Yeah, so the time aspect is really interesting. And I've um, I practiced Buddhism too, and it's mostly from the Tibetan lineage as well. So it's really yeah. cool. I didn't know that about you, but Buddhists yeah. talk about time very different than Westerners, whereas in the West we think about it very linearly, but in Buddhism, yeah. time, it, the past, present, and future exists simultaneously in the same space. And what you, what you, when you're describing the refrigerator, opening it up, that's what it reminded me of. Is like I've heard of uh, monks being able to literally like time travel in their mind and go back in the past or forward into the future and, yeah. and create actual changes in the physical space. And even yeah. at the Detroit conference, I think uh, Kalindi was talking about some of his experiences where he's been able to travel time or travel yeah. to different dimensions yeah. and um yeah. and actually have an effect uh yeah. in in the physical world when he comes back that's yeah. really interesting to me because we think of time travel as like we have to build a machine to do it but yeah. really the time travel <laughs> machine is up here the whole time if we learn yeah. how to <laughs> you could say that again my friend yeah it's very true what you say i mean um when we look at i mean this is interesting I, I totally believe when we deal with technology, right? I believe all the technology that we can ever really express is all inside of us. You know, when we look at things like cars or, or the plumbing system and all that, they're all mimicked, they're all based off of the human anatomy system. You know what I mean? So you, you look at technology around you and you see that technology is really born through natural things, right? They just mimic things from nature, right? So the same thing with time travel, right? I, I had a good friend that um, actually was in the Navy, right? Older gentleman, and he told me a long time ago, he said, Dooley, the Philadelphia experiment was real, all right? He said it was a real thing. And he says, yes, they definitely jumped into, I think what they jumped 40 years into the future or whatever. They even made a movie about that, right? But you could see what happened with the Philadelphia experiment. It was a disaster in many ways. You know, people, it was said that people were merged into this ship. People were phasing in and out of reality. I mean, all kinds of crazy shit. So we look at the mechanical technology, you know, type of approach to time travel. And then we look at the more natural approach. When we, we understand that time travel it's a real phenomenon. We, I, I look at even, um, for instance, um, the Makaba, all right? For instance, within the Jewish mysteries, the Hebrew mysteries, they talk a lot about the Makaba, the Makaba-like vehicle. There's many people that when they go deep into the Kabbalah, they understand that there's many different people that claim they got to that spiritual station where they can turn their body literally into life and travel, all right? 
Now, the same phenomena is spoke about also in Tibet. They call it the rainbow body technique, yeah. all right? If I'm not mistaken, I believe there's over 200,000 documented cases of people witnessing these llamas, these Rinpoche's, these high-level beings turning their body into light <laughs> and leaving sometimes um, nails, you know, and uh, pieces of hair behind. Yeah, and, right. we know, and we know, too, that the human body emits its own light, too. Uh, that's yeah. been studied and measured as well. So someone sitting in a completely dark room uh, where there's no light, if you had a detector in there, you would be able to pick up on a person's light body because every single cell emits a little bit of energy and a little bit of light, even though it's, it might be faint. That's amazing. That's amazing, man. You know, so it, I, I, I thought about the light body when you're talking about um, time travel because it recently... I read a book called uh, Shape, uh, what is it called? Shape Shifting. It was called Shape Shifting. Ah, shit, I can't remember. I'll, I'll go in another room to see if I can find the book real quick. What you? But the book was amazing. It was talking about these shapeshifters all throughout the Amazon and these different shamans that have this ability to shapeshift. Long story short, there's a point in the book, towards the end of the book, where this guy, um, one of the guys who's the guy that actually wrote the book experienced going into an orb, you know, uh, manifesting into this orb, right? Sounds a lot like, you know, the macabre too, right? And while he had this experience, he experienced time travel, you know? And when, when he was time traveling, there were actually certain people in those time periods that seen him. Mm. It was in a book they showed one guy that was about to execute this person. And he looked up and he would, and the guy that wrote the book was talked about how he was watching the whole situation. The guy looked up and seen it, the knowledge, you know? So it wasn't something, something coming from this guy's, the writer's own head, you know? This was a deep experience he had. So I believe definitely there was natural ways to manipulate time, to be able to bend time, to be able to time travel, even, the first time I even heard of something called the Time Travel Clan was through this book, um, Supernatural by Graham Hancock, right? Um, that was the first time I heard about uh, Iboga, Iboga or Ibogaine, right? Um, very well known to help addiction, um, it, you know, it, from the Vitui tradition in West Africa, you know what I mean? And what's so interesting, Graham Hancock talks about how this association of this iboga plant being able to help people time travel or go back to these places of trauma. That's why I think that, you know, the iboga is so um, successful with addiction because these people are going back to those places and setting up different scenarios. You know, like you were saying with Kalindi, going to these places and changing these situations. So, you know, these people that go back to the time where they most might have uh, uh, sniffed that first line of cocaine or shot that first whatever, um, now they have an option to do something different. You know what I mean? Now, now they could say, hey, you know what? Nah, you know what? I'm cool, man. You know, I know I want to, you know, I'll just drink a beer or whatever tonight. You know what I mean? So in all actuality, they change their reality. And when they come back from that experience with the iboga, it's like a 90, what is it, like a 
percent success rate with addiction with no withdrawal symptoms at all that's amazing to me that yeah. is fucking amazing to me you know what i mean and like again to me when we think about the uh you know the opioid crisis what come on y'all what the fuck man you know what i mean we're dealing with people that are dealing with addiction why aren't we dealing with iboga right here in the united states i mean this is just fucking ridiculous man yeah, excuse me, man. I get passionate. No, no it's all good. I, yeah, I have an ex- I have an explicit content like label on my podcast just yeah. to let people know. But yeah. I have an awesome story that goes right along with that too. And this is how I think about time travel as well. Um, yeah. And I think you know through a regular therapy, I I really and I used to be an addict to a lot of different drugs: opiates, meth, okay. cocaine, alcohol, okay. all these things, and. Um, I went through an inpatient treatment facility and everything, and we dug really down deep to why I had addictions in the first place. And what we discovered was that I had a deep sense of abandonment from my father. Mm. My father left when I was one and a half, and I never talked to him until I was 24 again. Mm. And then my mom was an alcoholic uh, okay. while I was growing up, so I felt abandoned by her as well, you know, like not good enough. And yeah. um, I had a particular psychedelic experience where – I wanted to overcome the abandonment issue since I knew that was the source of the addiction. And mm-hmm. I, I swear, like I felt like I time traveled back to the first point in which I felt abandonment. And I was four years old and oh. I, I saw myself, um, it was at my aunt's wedding. It was at a hotel and it was late yeah. at night. All the, all the adults were at a party and my babysitter fell asleep in the hotel room and I locked myself out of my hotel room at four, uh, four years old. Just, wow. trying to, just trying to explore in the hallway and lock myself out. Wow. And, um, wow. No one to be found. The, the door or the hallway seemed like it went on for infinity. And I just felt wow. like so alone wow. and abandoned. And I can remember okay. myself curling up okay. in a ball like as this little kid just feeling mm-hmm. like, I, like I was about to implode. And it was from, yeah. that, from that moment forward after that realization, what I was able to do, and this was a technique taught to me by a monk in, in Thailand, um, that I was able to apply sort of like inner child work. I was mm-hmm. able to project my my current self back to my past self and comfort right. and give the nurturing that I needed That's in the right. moment. I That's was able right. to nurture little That's Shane. Right. And in yeah. that moment, I was healed. And I came out of yeah. that experience completely different. I felt like I healed my own abandonment issues, but also like I gained the knowledge that I can heal anything in yes. myself as you know yes. if i feel like i'm not being nurtured or valued i yes. can be my own healer yes. and that was a huge yes. insight from that yes i i mean first of all i want to salute you for that work that you just did right there that's big first of all and i commend you for that you know what i mean because again this is not easy work and it's not easy sometimes um looking under the things that we sweep under the rug or some of the things that we're not even aware that were, you know, holding, you know, a lot of times we're not even aware of some of the shit that we're holding inside of us. Some of the trauma, because some of the stuff can be so, you know, could be very young at the time. You know, a lot of my um, interest in healing came from my mother being labeled as schizophrenic. You know, um, the courts got involved with me and my sisters because, you know, I think my mom did some terrible things to us at the time. And one time when, you know, I was having a joint with my mom, we was talking and she told me like, yeah, you know, you know, I try to kill y'all, you know? 
And I tried to kill y'all because I didn't want you to deal with the demons that I was feeling. So all I know is one of my sisters had a burn mark on her foot. I don't know what, my, what, what happened to me. And sometimes things can happen to a people, especially when we're so young. It, it's, it's always there. You know what I mean? Um, some people call it the Akashic Records or what have you. You know, that could just be another term translated as just your DNA memory. But it's always there. I don't care what experience that a person deals with. Um, even if our conscious mind might not remember, it's always there. Yeah, there's a book called uh, The Body Keeps Score about how cells hold on to those traumatic memories, too, even if your consciousness doesn't. Interesting. I got to check that out. Um, because, you know, what's interesting about that is I've seen, you know, and, and, and they, they, they call this soul retrieval a lot, also within the uh, shamanic, you know, communities where, you know, where trauma occurs. It's so intense that the, the all great spirit made us that we can leave our body, right? When something gets so traumatic, so we won't be fully present in our body because it's just too horrific for someone to experience all that at that moment, right? Yeah, people experience so, that during like rape situations and stuff, like yes, your exactly. consciousness leaving your body. Exactly, exactly. So the whole concept of soul retrieval is that again, you're going, you know, usually the shaman or whoever does some drumming, usually to put you in, in, in that state where you're in that trance-like state so you can go travel and pick up bits and pieces of yourself that you left behind, parts of your psyche that broke off. And thus, you usually hear about these people going back to usually times when they were very small and telling their, their childlike self, it's okay, you're protected now. You're going to be all right. You can come. Come with me, you know. And usually, you know, most of the times people coming back from them situations, they feel more wholesome. They feel more, you know, just more grounded, more, you know, a different person. You know what I mean? This happened to one of my friends one time when he, he was taking mushrooms. We were at the park. and we, we, It was three of us, and we was going to do some ceremony work with mushrooms. And he, he started having, you know, a quote-unquote bad trip. And um, what was interesting is that intuitively something told me to do a guided meditation with him, right? And I don't know where that came from, but it just intuitively something told me to say, hey, hey, man, you know, um, I want to see you going back to your mother. You know, I don't know why, but something, and I went through this guided meditation with him. And I was like, yeah, see yourself in your mother's arms, you know, see her at, at, at her bosom, you know, you're safe. Do you know this man, as I'm saying this to him, he literally fell on the floor and went into this whole fetal position. It was like he was reliving that, going back to that place at that very moment. And man, it, it was amazing to witness and see that. So yeah, man. That type of work is amazing. And I tell people too, even in regards to like time travel, you know, um, I've been doing like Reiki healing um, for about 14, about 14, 15 years now. And some of the classes that I teach, I, we, we speak a lot about time travel, how you can manipulate the time, you know, the, you, how you can bend time and space, you know, and, and essentially within Reiki, 
we use, you know, there's four traditional symbols, but we use one of the symbols that deal with time travel, which is the Hong Sha Zai Shonen symbol. You know, so a lot of stuff in my class talks about how you can send that healing Reiki energy back to those moments where you feel, you know, violated or felt disrespected or what have you. You know, um, it doesn't take away, it doesn't erase the situation, but yet it, it, it lessens the sting. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you're bringing a healing energy to support you in that moment of, of terror or whatever. Um, same thing we learn in Reiki, how you could even send energy into the future as well. We learn how to like send energy, for instance, if you have a court date or uh, interview and you might feel a little nervous, there's that energy waiting for you so you walk into it and feel a little more grounded or, or serene. Nice. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's so let's, yeah, let's jump right into shamanism because um, uh, that's a particular interest of mine too. And I was wondering if you could explain what your name means, the Beantown uh, Ghetto Shaman, because that's, I remember that very clearly from the Detroit conference. And, yeah. uh, I, but I never got an explanation because to me, Beantown means uh, Chicago, right? The, the big bean in Chicago. But no, I, no, yeah. no, actually it's, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a nickname for Boston, Beantown. Oh, um, that's right, that's the right. Bean, the Bean. And um, so, you know, it's just, you know, just repping where I come from. Um, but also the Beantown Ghetto Shaman. Um, it was, it, I, I use ghetto for an acronym, you know, and, and the acronym is Gifted Hearts Equal Towards Total Oneness. All right? So Gifted Hearts Equal Towards total oneness, all right? I came from the hood, you know, I, I grew up in Roxbury. I grew up in the same neighborhood as um, not that far from Bobby Brown. Uh, he grew up over there in um, Orchard Park projects, you know, I grew, I, I grew up between two Warren projects at the time, Warren Gardens projects and um, St. Joseph projects, you know what I mean? So, um, so a lot of things changed in Boston from the time that I, that I grew up. Um, some of the neighborhoods are a little more safer, but, um, they you know, at 11, you know, that's when I was, <laughs> I got my lesson of learning about gangs and it was like, you know, I was going to an after school program and, uh, my grandmother gave me a, a scully or, uh, a, uh, a winter hat that had this football logo on there, uh, the Raiders, you know? So I was walking to my after school program and these older guys, they come up to me and I think I was 11 at the time and they had to be like 17, 18. And they're like, you know, you're down with the Raiders. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And next thing I know, I see all these fists coming at me and they knock and they're beating the shit out of me. And um, this old guy sees me, so, you know, I run, and he said, hey, you need a ride? And, you know, tears coming down my face. And, and I just remember that experience overnight. Um, I realized that, that the world's not always safe. You know, I was a very, you know, very innocent child, you know. But it, from that point, I was like, you know, I'm going to have to get hard. I'm going to have to build up some type of hysteria around me for my own protection. And, um, so, you know, ghetto, you know, um, we know that word, you know, really was dealing with the concentration camps with, you know, the Jews and stuff. But, you know, this is a word that has been used through slums 
or inner cities throughout wherever, you know? So um, I come from the ghetto, you know what I mean? So in the Beantown ghetto, shaman, you know what I mean? So I didn't call myself a shaman. This is something kind of the streets gave me, you know? And it, uh, it <clears throat> I got kind of that stamp on me when um, I started this car on the street with my energy, you know, it was this guy on the street, <laughs> his car was down and I was with one of my friends, uh, one of my first Reiki uh, students, um, brother Ant. And I was like, yo, Ant, I was like, yo, what starts this car, man? And this, my, <laughs> my friend was like, my friend Anthony or Ant was like, man, dude, you're fucking crazy, man. You can't start the car, man. I was like, yeah, man. I thought, yo, I feel this energy in me. Um, I know we could start this car, man, you know? So, I, you know, I, I rode up to the guy and I say to him, you know, I say, hey, looks like you're not having a hard time here. And he's like, yeah, I've been stuck here for a while, da, 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 da. And I was like, you mind if I try something, you know? So, you know, long story short, I visualize all this chi energy, you know, beam of light coming through the crown of my head. And I visualize it going through my body. And then I see it coming through my arms and my hands. And I see this light going into his engine. So when I feel like the energy was enough for it going in the engine, I said, you know, okay, start it, man. Try to start it. He starts the car and the guy goes crazy. You know, he's like, how did you do that? You know? So, you know, I did it again, you know, and I did it another time. So people started like just getting, you know, hearing things, you know, you know, the word got out on the street, like, yo, this guy duly, you know, he's a he's a particular <laughs> strange type of cat. You know, he's a shaman. Matter of fact, he's the ghetto shaman. You know, so um, you know, and and you know, I've been through a lot of different schools of thought. You know, um, but where I'm at currently in my own spiritual development has been doing a lot of work with the teaching plants and the teaching fungi and stuff, and it's just been hope opening a, up a whole different world to me, man. And, it's just amazing, just amazing, amazing work, amazing yeah. stuff, man. You know. So how does how does a kid from the inner city develop an interest in the mind and consciousness, and then eventually um, want to pick up holistic medicine? I don't hear that story too often. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I mean, you a person is usually their environment. You know, what I mean, there's no getting around it. You know, what I mean, I have. You said your mom was a big influence too. Yeah, it's, it's, I have to give credit to my, my foundation, my parents, you know, if it wasn't for them, you know, I mean, I know for a fact, my mom, at one point, my mom moved to DC, to Washington, DC, and she was in a very rough neighborhood. And I remember at one point in time, Washington, DC was the murder capital at one point, you know, and um, I know for a fact, if I grew up with my mom, I probably wouldn't be here. I, I know probably me and you wouldn't even talk. I might have been dead or maybe locked up somewhere. Who knows? You know what I mean? Um, but I do know, like, you know, um, you people are their environment. You know what I mean? If, if, if something doesn't step in to teach someone or to, to show a better way, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. One of my good friends for many years, um, he, he's from Virginia. And, you know, he 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 became a crip, you know. Um, he he joined the gang, you know, the gang uh, crips, you know. And he didn't want to get into. It. He didn't want to become a gang member or a gang thing. 
it was his environment. One day they moved to these projects and, you know, him and his brother, he seen his first murder when he first moved there. And he's looking out the window and he sees his first murder. And he says to him, his brother right there, he says, you know what? Tomorrow I'm down with those guys. Because it was basically survival. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be one of them. I'm not going to be the victim there, you know? So it's like, get down or lay down, you know what I mean? So, um, and I think some people that don't come from these environments or have never seen any of these type of things, it's hard for them to relate or even show a sense of empathy or compassion towards a lot of people that go through these things. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, they come from mindsets where, oh, just work hard, you know, or just pull yourself up from your bootstrap mentality. And sometimes life is not that simple, you know what I mean? Sometimes life is not that simple like that, you know what I mean? Um, you know, um, it's, you know I, just feel, I just feel blessed that I, I came from a family that schooled or in, installed certain values in me from a very young age. Even though these things was installed in me, it was a time in my life where I didn't feel safe in my neighborhood. You know what I mean? And, you know, a lot of that spiritual stuff that my father and my mother gave to me was kind of thrown out the window for a little while for me, you know? Um, And, you know, I just seen a lot. I met a lot. You know, I met killers. You know, I've, you know, I've hung out with pimps. You know, I've known prostitutes. So it's like, my story is very interesting because <laughs> at one point, you know, I could chill with the killers and, and the pimps and the drug dealers, but then there's other p- parts of my life where, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a monk and all, you know, I was at this, you know, this, this, with this, uh, temple where I almost met the Dalai Lama. <laughs> he was in the back, um, the back, uh, uh, yard where this temple was at, where we was at. And I swear if I wasn't with my father at the time, me and the Dalai Lama would have been chatting that day. Because I would have been like, yo, Dalai Lama, what up? What up, homie? What's going on? What's chopping up? You know? But um, my father's more concerned, uh, more conservative on that level. So I was like, you know, yeah, I would have probably heard it from my pops later that day. <laughs> yeah, so but, you, uh, you yeah. talk about the importance of um, your direct family and your ancestor, you know, your parents. Uh, but another yeah. thing that really interested me about you when you spoke uh, at the Detroit conference was, and a lot of the speakers brought this in was um, being able to tap into like uh, your ancestral knowledge yes. or what's been passed down and, and how do you, yes. so not only That's that, not only how do you, how do you inform yourself with your, your ability to utilize ancestral memory, but also now yes. as a parent yourself, like, and I consider you uh, and, and myself psychedelically informed. So we've been to those mm-hmm. other spaces. We know we've seen the reality mm-hmm. of, of our world. And now we yes. come back. How do you how do you use your psychedelically informed and your ancestral knowledge to help your parenting these days? Well, that's a good question. Um, like you said, like Kalindi was saying, how he you can manipulate you know certain things or change certain certain things. <clears throat> I do a lot of work, ancestral work, on the spirit realm. A lot of work on the spirit realm. Um, for my ancestors in my direct family. So for instance, my father, my, the last um, ayahuasca ceremony I was at, I did a lot of work for my father that. Um, my father is a champion, he's a warrior, but you, even, you have even wounded warriors, right? 
what happens to the healers when they need healing, right? So my father for many years did anti-gang prevention work, anti-AIDS type of work and stuff. And in the 80s, there was so much gang violence, like I was saying in, in, in Boston at the time. One week he's working with one, one youth, next week he's going to their funeral. So a lot of that took a toll on my father over the years to the point that my father, you know, he'd never been diagnosed with anxiety, but I know that, I know he does suffer from that. You know, he has a hard time being around a lot of people and things. So my last ayahuasca experience, you know, ceremony I was at, you know, I was out my body and, you know, I was compensating with my father's spirit. And my son, who's only two years old, showed up in the spirit realm as a teenager. And me and my son had a very good talk with my father. And I seen the difference, you know? You could see the little subtle differences, you know, on when you work with certain things in the spirit world and see how things trickle down into the physical world. Um, very interesting stuff. And I think that the more you even do your own work for your own self, I think they, they talk about the seven generations. So when you do your work on your own self, you're healing your own particular bloodline as well. Because we know epigenetics is real. You know, sometimes we have certain experiences or memories that aren't our memories, you know, and we're asking ourselves, where is this coming from? You know, or where, or where is this phobia is coming from? Or where this trauma might be coming from? So it's very interesting. I'll never forget, <clears throat> there was a woman I talked to when I was trying to do a conference here in Boston, and I just haven't got a chance to get around to do the conference yet. But I was trying to, you know, get certain people of color that are into the psychedelics have them come down to the conference. So I spoke to one woman who's part of uh, the B-Tweet tradition and she deals with Viboga. She had an experience where the medicine where she time traveled and she went back and she, she still doesn't know if it was actually seeing a past life situation with herself or she was viewing one of her ancestral memory. Um, but regardless of the point, she seen herself running through this sugarcane field. And they were slaves, that she was a slave during that time. And they were trying to run to escape slavery. Um, so, you know, again, we, wow. we, we really don't know what's in us or what we have to heal, not even just this lifetime, but even other lifetimes. It, it's, it's interesting, you know, I mean, um, for instance, um, I had an experience where I, I've had several, well, I've seen several of my past lives. I was lucky enough to be able to see them through some of the medicine work. And I seen one of my daughter's past lives. And um, I seen that in that lifetime, she had a very violent death, you know? So I remember on one of my journeys, I was doing some work with my daughter for her just to release that particular trauma from that lifetime, you know? So, uh, yeah, man, this shit, this shit gets fucking crazy sometimes, man. It's you know like an mean? onion. Like it, it's so many different layers and so many different directions we can take it. Oh yeah, definitely, man. And, and usually like one of my first Reiki teachers, her name is Johnny. Um, Johnny told me a story of one of her past lives where her neighbor, right? Her neighbor used, was a 
big bully to her, right? A neighbor was always picking on her. And when they, was, when they were young children, they used, her neighbor would always want her to play um, pirates with her, right? And her neighbor would always do this thing of she would have to walk the plank and all this, right? Now, years later, when my Reiki teacher, um, Jonaki, um, got more into herself and started getting into spirituality and all these things, she had a past life experience where she tapped into this past life where I think it was around, I forget what period it was. I don't know if it was Victorian era, I'm not sure, but she was diff definitely, um, she had money during that lifetime, all right? She was very wealthy during that lifetime, and she, it was shown that she was kidnapped, and she was brought upon this, on this, on this uh, ship with these pirates, right? And this, this pirate, one of the, the main captain, took advantage of her, he did some real bad things, raped her, did all kinds of stuff, and before he was done with what he was doing with her, he had her walk the plane to her death. She realized that in that very moment that her neighbor, <laughs> who was the big bully of fellow walk the plank all the time, was that perpetrator pirate wow. during that life. Yeah. So it's interesting. This thing, this stuff gets very interesting, my friend. It, 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 you, the, you, the people that you are around currently, your friends, your family, your coworkers, it is totally obvious that y'all, you know, it's more, more than likely that you've been in lifetimes with each other, several lifetimes with each other. Yeah, even pets too, even pets. I think that uh, even though yeah. my two dogs can't talk, you know, they were probably siblings or family members in the past and, you know, are yeah. here to help me in my journey now. Um, and that brings, yeah. it brings up another thing too, that probably the most fascinating thing that I heard at the Detroit conference, and I'm wondering if you have some insight on this is, when they were talking mm -hmm. about um, psychedelic use uh, in like cultural sense, so um, it goes against Western culture, but in other cultures they use psychedelics, not only giving them to infants, but giving them to pregnant women while giving yes. birth and also giving them yeah. to youth. Um, I bring yes. this up because I've had particular experiences in peyote ceremonies where there'd been babies in there where they give the peyote tea to and the baby starts uh, singing these wonderful peyote songs which is amazing wow. and then also you know at the conference they were talking about um, giving psilocybin mushrooms uh, as the mother is giving birth to help yeah. uh, induce contractions and lower yeah. or raise pain tolerance and then also yeah putting psilocybin in the infant's mouth right when it's born to spark uh, neurogenesis and start the brain, start opening the brain from, uh, from, from inception. What do you think about all those practices? I think that's fucking amazing. <laughs> man. Wow, man. That's like, wow, man. That's, just imagine that those type of children, you're, you're talking about the avatar babies there. Those are the super babies there. Those are the babies that are going to turn this world around, you know, um, possibly give us some hope here. That's what um, I think, too. And everybody here in Colorado is so scared because we just decriminalized mushrooms. Everyone's so scared that, you know, what, what's going to happen to the kids and the kids are going to find no, us and find it's no. OK. And I'm like, you know, who cares? No, you know, you know where, good for them. <laughs> you know where all this fear is coming from is because we, you're dealing with a culture, Western culture. Mm -hmm that is out of touch 
with their ancient history. You know what I mean? They, 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 we all know that they, there's, there's shamans around the world. There's, shamanism is not something that's just um, for one particular type of people, you know? These ancient um, earth-based practices have been in every type of race, every ethnicity, every culture, all right? So Western culture, America, the U.S., I hate to say it, you know, my, my fellow European brothers and sisters, they have to get back in touch in the times where they were more earth-based centered, mm -hmm. you know, the times of the Druids, for instance or the times of the, the Celtic traditions, where, these, where you could see that, that uh, Europeans were more in touch with that aspect of their ancestry. You know what I mean? When we, when we look at, the, when we will, look at the, the US, when we look at the Western world, they got very out of touch with their, their, their spirit side. You know what I mean? They got out of touch with the spirit. And we got into this thing of the industrial revolution and this, this, this level of materialism, you know, that we got out of touch with the level of spirit. You know, if these people, and I understand the fear, because when, 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 a, peop, when a people get un, out of touch with something, they just don't know, you know? So, for instance, in the 1960s, when you had this hippie movement, starting in America, right? And my father, my father used to be with so many, he would uh, congregate with so many different type of people. You know, my dad used to play jazz. Um, he, he even got a chance to play with the fam famous jazz musician, Pharaoh Saunders. He met Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie and stuff. So even my dad has a very interesting story. But my, I remember my father um, was saying when he went to Woodstock, my dad went to Woodstock, and when you and, and when he would describe to me the hippie movement, what was going on during that time, he was he would the hippies did not they were tapping into something, but they did not have the framework. They did not have the blueprint or the tradition that what these shamans have. Like when they're giving it, for instance, to their children, when they're coming out the womb or giving this medicine to their wives or whatever while they're pregnant. The, the children know this stuff since day one. It's not foreign to them. It's nothing to be feared. It's part of their culture, you know what I mean? Whereas when the hippies started messing with acid and coming, exploring mushrooms and all this stuff, there's a part of them that was screaming out saying, this is part of our heritage. This is part of our culture, but we don't, we don't know how to go about it you know there's no one to really teach us how to go about with a mushroom ceremony for instance or there's no one to teach us about how to make a acid experience a sacred experience so i could get more out of it you know what i mean so the framework wasn't there so when you had people that witnessed this hip these hippies only thing they could look at is, oh, these guys are dirty. <laughs> they know they don't wash their hair, whatever. They're, they're, they're just out there, you know? So people from conventional uh, society or, you know, straight edge society, they look at this and they're like, well, we don't want another type of hippie type of thing in, in Colorado or wherever 
the next place that's going to uh, legalize this. Because w what they're thinking is that there's going to be people that are just going to misuse it or don't know how to use it or go about in an uh, immature, uh, immature way of going about it. Now, let's get this straight. There's times where I think recreational use is fine, totally fine. There's times where you eat some mushroom and you'll get the giggles, have a fun time, maybe even pop on your favorite TV show, Rick and Morty or whatever, and have a blast. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with when we look at cultural acceptance, when we will look at cultural drinking, right? Someone sits down, have a little wine with their, their family, sometimes even let the little children have a sip of wine, right? Now, if that's okay, why is it now these people over here, now that you're dealing with mushroom, no, these people are abusive to their children. How can you give their children this little piece of mushroom or ayahuasca? Well, over here, you give these people over here a little sip of wine, your children over here, I guess it's culturally accepted over here. Right, so right? The, the cultural context plays a big role for sure and, and what you know how the family feels about psychedelics or medicines and talks about them, that all plays yes. an influence in that as well. Um, big time, big time. And, and, it's, and let's face it, there's a lot of misinformation out about these psychoactive compounds. Let's just face it. You know, most people don't even take time to research and see what they're about. You know, the only thing they hear is magic mushrooms. Oh, somebody's going to be going tripping, you know, tri oh, they're either going to get hippie trippy or they're going to go, you know, but no one really sees the benefits. How many people have gone and did the research and see the brilliant data that's coming up from these uh, wonderful universities and say, hey, restarts, repairs the brain and it connects the synapses and all these one craves addictions, all these different things. No one's looking at that, you know? Only thing that they're, re they're, they're just reacting from fear. Yeah, you know? and propaganda and, and stigma and all that stuff. And, and you yeah. talk about, you know, alcohol is acceptable. Well, in our country, we restrict alcohol uh, with the ages, right? You can't drink till you're yeah. 21. Well, in a lot of European cultures, um, drinking wine starts at a very young age, and it's just part of yeah. the daily routine. And so the stigma yes. around alcohol is not there. And so they have much le lower levels of alcoholism yes. than we do here. It's, yes. it's very also, good point. Yeah. It's because we restrict things that we have these issues in the first place because, yeah. because we propagandize I, I, and pump, pump out bad education and also, yeah. you know, restrict people from using them, then they're going to want to go use them. And now they don't exactly. have the resource to go do it safely. Now they have to yes. go do it underground by themselves and yes. risk more danger. Yes, I agree. I totally agree with you, man, because listen, there's a part of us. I mean, I have children now. All right. I'm, I'm learning shit daily. Just being a fucking parent. I'm learning. I'm like, wow. I have a little more uh, sympathy. I have a, mo a little more compassion for my own parents now. Just being a parent. I was like, I get it. All right. So listen, just being a parent, you understand that rebellion is part of learning. <laughs> this is about learning about individuality, all right? So if somebody's going to come through and tell you, no, you can't do that, of course, it's going to be more enticing for these youth. You know what I mean? It's going to, oh, you know, this is the rebel without a cause here. You know what I mean? So I'm going to, okay, I'm not going to drink. Fuck you, system. I'm going to drink. We're going to figure out how to fuck. Not only are we going to drink, but we're going to fucking get hammered drink. You know what I mean? 
So this is there's a level of rebellion that especially comes with youth. You know, it's natural. You know what I mean? It's just part of learning one's identity and finding your place in this world. You know, but so therefore you made a great point. By putting the stigma there, it's gonna make it more enticing. It's gonna make it more exciting, you know? But by having it readily available and seeing people that use it without it just being a normal thing, it's not, it doesn't have that rebellious type of energy surrounding. Example, there's an ambulance going by, hold on. <laughs> Example, for instance, Jamaica, right? You look at some of Rastafarian culture, right? Rastafari. You, you, you see a lot of the young kids around there seeing the, the, the older parents smoking, sometimes even maybe blowing the smoke in the young youth's face or whatever. It's not a stigma. They put it, they understand that, hey, they understand ganja is a sacrament. They say, oh, this is, this is my connection to Ja, Ja Rastafari. You know what I mean? So therefore, it's not this stigma around it. Oh, you're a pothead. Or you're going to be lazy and just sit on the couch all day. It's no. There's people that are lazy that are just fucking lazy. All right? <laughs> and that has nothing to do with smoking weed or what. That's just built in their motherfucking DNA. They're just a lazy motherfucker. All right? Now, listen. You are, and that's what I learned too with these psychedelics. These things put a mirror to your face and they, you are who you are. You know what I mean? So there's some people that are just very not motivated, just want to sit on the rest of their life on the couch and play video games. If God wants to learn how to be a fucking lazy bum, well, oh, by all means, all right? But, um, but don't blame it on the sacrament, the, the sacrament. That's the individual. That's like somebody talking about a gun. Gun control. No, it's the individual behind the fucking trigger, you idiot. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that understand and respect guns and respect weapons. You know what I mean? We understand that martial attitude. And there's respect behind it. All right? We can't help that somebody's, in, that somebody's not mature. And they pick up a gun and, they, and all of a sudden now they think they're a tough guy. You know what I mean? That's the individual. Yeah, and so I think a lot of it comes back to the relationship that you have with these medicines. Um, because I remember in my youth, my relationship to medicines and to alcohol and to opiates and cocaine, all that stuff was, it was it, I was using it as a coping skill. And it was doing damage, right? Like I was trying to escape, yes. I was trying to escape from my life. And that's the wrong yes. attitude to go into it with because now – my work with with all these medicines is more like you said. Like I have an attitude of sacrament, of honor, of yes. respect for it, yes. the ceremony, and also the integration piece before and after too. And yeah. it has so much different meaning to me now than it did back then, and so much more benefit. Uh, I, you know, I was right with you. I was right with you. I think a big majority of us was right with you because there's many, plenty of times where I know I'm abusing this weed, you know, or this marijuana at this time. Because we have, you know, this society is built on escapism, you know? Because we know, we know, that we know in our hearts of hearts that we, life is not meant to just wake up and work your ass away, you know? And then retire and, 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 and then have a couple of years to your life and then kick the bucket. There's something inside of us that knows that's a violation to life. You know what I mean? We, we know there's something more to this. So all of us are kicking and screaming and depressed because we know we're living a very plastic-like type of lifestyle. 
You know what I mean? So depression is, is something that needs to be talked about because a lot of people, they run towards the alcohol, they run towards the, the drugs and, and different things because there's something inside of us that knows this is fucked up, man. Something ain't right about this. And we try to figure out ways to try to, 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 to escape it or to, to hide from it, you know, rather than, and then look at it straight in the face and say, I'm going to be one of these many warriors to try to change this world. All right. And it's going to change by changing myself first. All yeah, right. That's, that's, um, you know, and yeah. And, and, and also, I mean, and again, Tai Chi and Chi Kung was a big tool for me to deal with depression, you know? So, you know, now, yes, I can enjoy a joint when I want to, but I don't need to depend on it to get myself in a relaxed type of state. Now I've learned to say, hey, I could breathe. You know, I could do this type of movement. And now I feel grounded. I feel relaxed. I feel peaceful inside. I don't give a fuck what's going on in the world. You know what I mean? Right now, I feel peaceful inside. And nothing can take that away from me. Yeah, and so you bring up depression. That's, that's, and that's, that's a gift right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and along with depression, you know, all mental illness, we we treat it like something's wrong with us. Something's wrong yeah. with that person who's mentally ill. But yeah. I mean, you know, from your experience with your mom who dealt with schizophrenia, yeah. that there's a lot of gifts that come with mental illness as well. I mean, in elder cultures, uh, the shamans yeah. of the tribe are the yeah. people who we would classify would as schizophrenic. Yeah, it would be considered schizophrenic. You're very, you're very true about that. Um, Oh man, these these medical labels, man. Whoo wee, you know, and especially in the later years now, you see all these kids on Ritalin, you know. I mean, like, what's what is this thing? I mean, a, a child. I mean, we are looking at these children. Oh, they have too much energy. Children supposed to have fucking energy. You fucking idiots. Give them something I mean? more I'm to like, do than just stare at a screen. Exactly, man. Exactly. And let's drug them up. Or now they have 80, H whatever term, all these damn terms. All right. Now, schizophrenia, again, traditionally, we look at schizophrenia from a more indigenous type of perspective. And we understand this is the medicine man uh, or medicine woman of, of, of the community, of the tribe. Because when we look at schizophrenia, bipolarism, all that, yes. There could definitely be some people out there that are chemically have imbalance there, all right? But yet then there's individuals that I feel have pierced the veil, you know, like Jim Morrison from The Doors say, break on through to the other side. There's some people that broke through the other side. My father would talk about this a lot. In the 60s, he said that there was a big phenomena talking about... Um, um, spontaneous kundalini awakening, all right? This was a term that was coined a lot during um, the 60s with uh, um, uh, kundalini yoga, which that particular yoga is very using a lot of very intense breath work and bringing that, you know, uh, you know uh, energy up the spine very quickly. Um, some people believe that kundalini yoga in some situations where a person would have a spontaneous awakening, like overnight, and say, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm here, so-called normal five senses, then overnight, 
I'm, I'm able to have this clairvoyance or a clear audience or what have you. Now I'm hearing spirits or now I'm seeing spirits. So uh, now the uh, ancestor that passed away is walking through my uh, living room and no one else sees it, but I see it. Now, from a clinical standpoint, because we deal with the Western world, which deals with just pure material, everything's solid, everything's everything that I could touch, taste, smell, this is just this 3D reality. Um, the medical establishment does not know how to deal with a person like that. And the only way they can deal with a person like that is, hey, let's medicate them. Hey, this person's schizophrenic, bipolar, what have you. They're saying that they see uncle so-and-so in the living room and no one's there, all right? Um, right, or they'll say, let's lock them up and shut them away so we yeah. don't have to deal with them. Exactly, exactly. Because again, they, you know, what can they do? They, they, they are not at a, a place of spiritual awareness themselves, or they don't have a spiritual uh, sensitivity to such things. So, you know, that's, that's their first reaction is to lock them away. You know, there's, there's plenty of people in the insane asylum that are spiritual beings that woke up, that had a spiritual awakening, you know? And their family did, you know, might come from a very orthodox uh, religious system where, you know, you know they, these things might not be talked about or what have you. So, you know, or someone say, oh, that's the devil in you or whatever. It's, it's, it's coming from these, all these places of fear rather than looking at the situation at hand which in many ways we had different blueprints in our culture to deal with people that were going through that. We had other shamans to recognize this. Oh, okay, that person's having a, a spiritual awakening. This person has been anointed as a shaman here. He's, he's you know, the spirits have embraced him. This is his, his life path during this time, you know? Yeah. Um, so, are, there, yeah. Are, are there any important social uh, or important movements in your area towards social consciousness or changes like going on in, in your particular area that you want to let other people yeah. know? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would love to give a shout out to a great woman that's doing great work here in Boston. Her name is uh, Sister Jana, and she has a establishment called the Sustainability Guild. Um, is geared for artists and also um, healers of color. Um, we are all inclusive. Anybody could come, no matter what race or what have you, to receive healings and stuff. But we are striving to get more people of color aware of these ancient practices. Because, for instance, when I used to work at this um, metaphysical bookstore, it used to, call, it used to be called uh, Unicorn Books, the majority of people that would come in these stores were middle-class white Americans, all right? Particularly more women, you know? And I would get frustrated a lot because I would say, you know, they, they, these modalities, this knowledge is, is universal. And, it's, and it can benefit so many different communities. So my thing is that, like, my, my, my whole thing has been now, how can I spread this knowledge to other communities, especially communities of color, or more poverty-stricken communities that would ne no normally would not have access to this particular uh, medicine or this particular type of, uh, you know, information, nice. you know? So, do, they have yeah. a, do they have a website? I think they do. I think you just Google the okay. Sustainability Guild. 
Um, recently, it's real good news that I just got from them. Um, we have a prison here in Boston called um, South Bay, South Bay Prison. And um, I just met one of the directors um, from that prison there. And they had some of the correctional officers come to the sustainability guild. And they were there for a whole day to de-stress themselves. So people were learning about Reiki, they were doing massage, yoga, so many different things. And they were so impressed with, with what we gave them that day. Now they want us to work in the prison and teach the prisoners. So I'm super excited about this because um, now I'm gonna um, be able to uh, teach prisoners, um, some of the brothers that are locked up, uh, how to do Reiki, um, you know, those who even want to become a Reiki master, now they can learn out different ways to deal with some of that, that harsh environment in there and deal with some of those emotions and things that come up and also give them uh, opportunity to have a job when they get out. So now they have a source of income. They could teach classes themselves. So we're working on trying to um, make yoga teachers in prison and stuff too. And who knows, you know, I know in Brazil, there's, um, they have uh, a program where they're using ayahuasca for the prisons, for prison reform there uh, in Brazil. So who Not knows, that. I mean, I mean, I would love one day maybe talk to the, <laughs> talk to the people in the prison there and be like, listen, you know, um, we, we would love to have to introduce some of uh, some ayahuasca to the, to the prisoners. Who, who knows, who, kn who knows where this stuff might go? You know, awesome. but I see, I see more people uh, being more open to this stuff because they can't deny the fact that these things do work. And, um, you know, and like even Baba Kalindi said one day um, on one of his interviews that, you know, the old guards at the door are dying off. So a lot of these guys that, you know, this whole war on drugs, these, these guys that these politicians and these people that make these decisions on these bills and these laws, a lot of these guys are dying off. So a lot of the baby boomers that went to Woodstock, that were <laughs> tried acid or, or mushrooms way back then, now these things are coming to their desk and they're like, well, you know, you know what, we did try that back in the day and it was great. You know, let them have it, you know? So I think a lot of the old guards at the door are dying off and there's a new time. Everything, if anything that I learned even from Buddhism, is that the only truth there is, is change. Change is always consistent. Yeah. So we know that nothing stays the same. Even in the most harshest conditions and fucked up, the, the world could be all crazy, the Trump era, but we understand, if anything, that change is always consistent. So nothing, mm -hmm. empires rise and they fall, you know? And I believe the universe allows everyone to be able to have their time to run the show or, 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 or to rule. And, you know, I, I, you know because the, the, the spirit, spirit is not, um, uh, sees us as all her children, you know? So, yeah. So um, yeah. If, if my listeners want to reach out to you and, uh, or have questions for you or want to reach out and find out more information about what you're doing or the Sustainability Guild, what's the best way for people to follow you or to, to reach out and contact you? Yeah, well, you can always find me on Facebook, you know, um, uh, under Abdul, A-B-D-U-L-K, Wilkins. You can always uh, message me there or, or, or uh, 
Well, actually, I have to <laughs> delete some stuff off this phone so I can get my messenger <laughs> back on my phone. But once I do, hopefully I could get everybody's messages and stuff. Um, but yeah, just could reach out to me on, on, on Facebook, man, or on my email, lovemothereearth33 at gmail.com. All right. Awesome. So yeah, and I look yeah, look hearing hearing from um folk, you know, and if I don't get back to you, just bear with me. I'm a parent and I got two little ones and sometimes it gets real busy for me. So yeah. All right, Dooley. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and you bring such a unique perspective and one that needs to be heard by a lot more people. So thanks again for the time today. I really appreciate it. And I hope yeah, to- it was a pleasure talking to you, brother. And I thank you for bringing me on your show, man. Uh, anytime I have an opportunity to share some wisdom or any knowledge that I might have, uh, I'm always there for folks, you know what I mean? Because I've noticed how this stuff has helped me over the years. And I use my own life as an example. So I'm like, man, if this can help me and there's things that make me just feel at peace and, and this stuff works. So I just really want your audience to know, I mean, like the integration work, all that, just because you think that, you know, you'll go to an ayahuasca ceremony or mushrooms, that everything is just turned over. This stuff takes work, it takes work. So if you go to the ayahuasca and the things that you learn, Try to integrate that back into your life. Learn, take those lessons. Right, hey, hey, guys, I'm trying to, oh, boy. You know, take those lessons, you know, back back to the, to the you know, from the spirit world back into this world, you know. And if that's, if anything, you know, that's all I could say. You know, explore all these things. They're all different uh, uh, pieces to the puzzle, you know. Hey, you know, the mushrooms, try that. The ayahuasca, all that. The yoga, all that. Try it. Anything that res- resonates with you, that's going to help you out to be a better person, you know? So, yeah. All right. So, peace and love to everybody. This is a painting I did, too. <laughs> Let nice. y'all see it. Yeah, that's a painting I did uh, so many years ago. Yeah, man. Um, All right. Well, we but, hope to have you back on the show soon. Yeah, man. We'd love to talk again, man. And, and peace and love to everybody out there. And keep on doing what you got to do. All right? One All love. Right. So this is Shane LeMaster signing off for Conversations with the Mind. Um, See you guys next time. Wow. Wowie. Wow. What an amazing podcast. This one's going to win some Emmys for sure. And if it doesn't, it should win the Nobel Prize. Anyway, what an amazing, amazing podcast. Uh, conversation that was with Dooley Wilkins, the Beantown Ghetto Shaman. I learned so much about him, so much about myself, and so much more about consciousness. And uh, man, what a smart guy. What an amazing guy. I can't wait to have him back on. There's so much more I need to learn from this guy. Um, So I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I enjoyed making it. Uh, Sorry for the delays in getting these episodes out. Uh, I've been working really hard to get you guys the highest quality um, equipment that I can. We're still falling short, um, pretty significantly short on our donations, so have been unable to purchase um, new podcast recording equipment like mics and things like that. Again, we are not supported by ads um, and uh, donations is the only form of support that this podcast gets, and unfortunately, we 
Um, we don't get many donations. I don't know why that is. I think uh, many people these days just don't feel that um, donating makes much of a difference or, uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, if you enjoy the content, guys, you know, give us, you know, give to the podcast a dollar, five dollars, you know, uh, it's a cup of coffee. But um, that, that sacrificing that cup of coffee to donate to the podcast will make a huge impact on our ability to um, improve our audio quality and our video quality. So make sure you go check out our podcast. We're posting it to YouTube as well. Um, like, share, all that good stuff. Okay. So, until next time, you guys be good to each other, all right? Because we're all watching, and we all are affected by how we treat each other. You know, it's that butterfly effect, that ripple effect. You treating one person negatively today may cause them to treat 10 people negatively tomorrow, and eventually it's going to get to me, you know, and I'm going to feel that. So, uh, let's, uh, let's all try and bring about some better feelings for each other and spread those little tiny acts of kindness and see how big those ripples can get okay kindness and love will always uh, outweigh um, or balance out that that darker side of humanity so let's let's be that kind light let's be that light in the darkness until next time this is Shane Lamaster with conversations with the mind peace Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored by MindOps.com. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military, through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story.